earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me today on A Word from the Word. Are you in your car? Are you at home listening to a radio or on a mobile device? Are you catching the podcast? Well, we've been taking a look at our prayer life through the lens of the Psalms. And last time our look at the book of Psalms is not a study of the Psalms per se, but rather a probe into our prayer life, letting the Psalms be our handbook, our instruction manual, so to speak. In parts one and two, we looked at reclaiming spiritual stillness. In part three, we zeroed in on Psalm 23 and the phrase, I shall not want. In part four, we saw Psalms as prayers for the in-between times. Well, today, friends, we'll examine Psalms as a stroll down memory lane. Now, I realize, just as you do, that memories are tricky, especially since it's sometimes hard to rid ourselves of some of our memories. For us humans, memories are like a two-edged sword, aren't they? We have pleasant memories and not-so-pleasant memories. I think back to that well-known 1973 movie, The Way We Were, and the title song with the same name, written especially for the movie, and beautifully sung by Barbara Streisand. The second verse begins, Memories may be beautiful, and yet, what's too painful to remember, we simply choose to forget. Friends, isn't that sometimes our goal? To do everything we can to forget those painful memories? Yet they often still plague us, don't they? I've titled today's installment, Part 5, The Psalms, A Stroll Down Memory Lane, so our personal prayer life may be informed and educated by three key psalms, Psalms 105, 106, and 107. Now, taken together, these three psalms total 136 verses, so I'll not be able to read through them today. But I'd like you to read these three psalms in one sitting and take your own stroll down memory lane with the Israelites. You see, friends, these three psalms are forever written in stone for all of us to see and read. Israel's pleasant and not-so-pleasant memories are indelibly captured here in time. Their good times, their bad times, and their most embarrassing moments are there for them to rehearse over and over. And we could view these psalms as an exercise in futility and shy away from them as they might trigger some of our very own not-so-good times. But I believe there's a higher purpose that God has in recording Israel's history honestly and forthrightly as appears in these and other places in the Hebrew Bible. 
our Old Testament. You see, friends, these psalm songs, these psalm prayers, record significant events in the lives of God's people. So the key question I'm going to pose to all of us today is, how many significant events in our own lives, growing up, do we associate with or mark by particular songs that were popular at the time? My wife is amazing at this. Songs help her recall many of her own life experiences. She remembers the year and the name of many songs that trigger in her mind those pleasant and not-so-pleasant times. Well, one purpose of these song prayers of Israel is to give testimony to various saving acts or wonderful acts of God. This is an expression that appears frequently in these three psalms. For example, Psalm 105 opens with, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds or his acts among the people, sing to him, sing praises to him, meditate on all his wonderful acts. Verse 5 says, Remember his wonderful acts which he has done, his marvels and the judgments uttered by his mouth. Psalm 106 begins with, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds or mighty acts of the Lord, or can show forth all his praise? Psalm 106 then records some not-so-pleasant times. Interspersed between verses 19 and 30 are these memories. They, the Israelites, made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things or mighty things in Egypt, wonderful acts in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen one stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath. They, the Israelites, also joined themselves to Baal Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and interceded, and so the plague was stayed, and it was reckoned to Phinehas for righteousness to all generations forever. Then Psalm 107 verses 8 through 11 tell us, Let them, the Israelites, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonderful acts to the sons of men. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with good things. There were those who dwelt in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains, because they had rebelled against the word of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them out of their distresses. Then verse 21 says, Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonderful acts to the sons of men. Friends, notice that the praises to the Lord for his mighty and wonderful acts are peppered with the not-so-pleasant, shameful, and sinful acts of the Israelites. You see, what makes our Judeo-Christian faith unique and distinct among the world's religions is that our faith is tied to history, and specifically history that outlines certain mighty or wonderful acts of our God. 
We have German theologians to thank for a word they coined to best capture this truth, Heilgeschichte, which simply means salvation history. Friends, biblical faith is essentially faith in God as Savior, and for the Hebrew mind, salvation is inextricably linked to the idea of deliverance, as in the Red Sea encounter. And so, the Red Sea deliverance prompted the song in Exodus 15, which, by the way, is retold in numerous places, Psalms 105 and 106 being two of them. That Red Sea experience was so vivid and powerful to the Hebrews that it crops up in other psalms where it is recounted in shorter bursts. Psalm 66, 74, 78, 114, and 136. These and other recounted experiences are really the story about a faithful God, which we tend to forget. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 says... Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Friends, memorize this verse. It was this faithful God of ours who knew he wanted me in Arizona back in 1995. So together, let's go strolling down memory lane for the time we have left. You see, in order for God to get me here, he had to begin his plan back in 1993 and orchestrate some circumstances to move me out of my comfort zones and instill in my wife and I the faith needed to take that monumental step and moved to Arizona in September of 1995. And our operative expression for today will be prayer portfolio. Because of my art and design background, I catalog my life experiences in a portfolio. Perhaps for many of you, a prayer journal might be the equivalent. Like Psalms 105 through 107, my life history is stuffed into a portfolio and I can reach in and pull out folders from those memorable years. This portfolio also records the mighty and wonderful acts of God in those times, both those pleasant and not so pleasant times. But God has shown me that in strolling down memory lane, I get to recall the mighty acts of a sovereign God in my life, which leads me to praise him, as the opening verses of Psalm 105 testify. Well, friends, on November 19, 1993, a significant event occurred in my life. This was the day an important part of my world was shattered. This was the day I heard that the design firm where I had been working for 21 years was going out of business. And in the memorable words of one manager, your position has been terminated. Just like that. His words were calculatedly distant, professional, and brief. No thank you for your 21 years of service. No, we appreciate all you've done for the company. No, we're sorry we have to let you go. No thanks for the awards you won for the company. In reflecting on this for today's installment in this series, it became as vivid as if it had happened yesterday. Interestingly enough, we were actually on vacation in Arizona when I received this news. I had to call New York City to find out if I was returning to a job when I got back. 
It wasn't even shown the courtesy of telling my fate to my face by the managers right before I left for vacation. I recall that fateful day, walking out of the studio right past several supervisors and making eye contact with them. They said nothing. This predicament I was in became more unbearable when I realized that my registering with unemployment was now delayed two extra weeks. In the end, I waited five weeks for my first check. Little did my wife and I know that that first week home would begin a faith journey in our lives we will never forget. It was like a roller coaster ride with God. We held on for dear life. And little did we know that I would end up being out of work for close to a year. Through a friend's help, I got a job working as a TA at a special ed high school for juvenile delinquent teenagers. Go figure! God actually closed doors, preventing me from landing work in my field. I thought of Revelation 3 where Jesus said, What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. That was me! Friends, I got to the point that it became humorous. It wasn't funny at the time, of course. Well, these were the days of looking for jobs daily in the newspaper. One day I saw an ad for an associate art director position, which I had held. It was the graphic division of the company Medical Economics. This was a find. Medical Economics had been a client of ours, and our department dealt directly with them. My boss and the art director were close buds. You know where this is going, right? So with a sense of expectation, I called and wrangled an interview with the human resource director. During our interview, she mentioned the name of the art director I'd be working for if I were hired. Naturally, I knew the guy. I had talked with him on the phone many times. This was getting better and better by the minute. I'm thinking, this is obviously God's hand at work. Well, the HR director looked at my portfolio and seemed impressed and told me she would schedule an interview with the art director the following week. Am I pumped or what? So the next week I met with the art director who now knows where I worked and who I worked for over 20 years. He actually didn't want to look at my portfolio. His parting words to me were that if it were entirely up to him, he'd hire me on the spot. But he had to finish the interview process with a few other candidates who had applied. Then he said, be patient, I'll call you in a week or so. Am I even more pumped or what? I walked out praising God for his obvious sovereign hand in my life and orchestrating this scenario. So, about ten days go by and I finally get a return call from the HR director who informs me that they had two choices for the position and they decided on me. But, since my last interview, the president of the graphics division was fired and the new president put a six-week freeze on all new hires. So I got the job, but there was no job. And if that wasn't bad enough... I was told there's no guarantee that the freeze would last only six weeks. See what I mean by a roller coaster ride with God? Soon this story became the joke of our church family who had been faithfully praying for us. Well, my predicament was exacerbated now. Do I wait the six weeks and hope the position reopens? Do I begin a new job search? You can probably guess what my wife's answer was. 
So I started pounding the pavement again. A three-week temp job opened up, which I took, working for a company that makes medical lasers for ear, nose, and throat doctors. They were updating their national database and hired a statistical company to oversee verifying the current names, phone numbers, and fax numbers of ENTs across the country. Yep, this was the era of fax machines. And this statistical company sent out 30,000 faxes between 12 midnight and 6 a.m. so that when doctors arrived in the morning, they'd get a fax about the latest medical lasers on the market. I was part of a team of four people assigned to calling every ENT in the country and verifying the pertinent info and entering the data into their computer system. Now, friends, what makes this experience significant in the grand scheme of things and along the roller coaster ride with God was the second week I was there. It was realized that this project was so enormous that more people were hired and one guy was assigned the workstation next to me. We introduced ourselves and he went on to share how his job search was going. He then informed me that he had just come from medical economics. where he was seeking a position. He said they were laying off people right and left because they were going through a corporate restructuring. I just went, hmm. But inside I was dying to get home and tell my wife what I had just learned. You see, friends, had I gotten that job at Medical Economics, I would likely have been among the first to get laid off, being the most recent hired and the most expendable. And God knew all that. That's why he purposely prevented me from getting that job. Because he's the sovereign God over our lives, isn't he? Well, that following summer, my unemployment checks ran out. A friend at church tipped me off that a TA position I took that I mentioned earlier. She thought I'd be perfect with my teaching experience. Now, friends, there were some other things in the mix that were going on that you need to know about. Two years earlier, I had begun Bible college extension courses in prep for ordination. I was almost three-quarters of the way through when I lost my original job. So how did the sovereign God step in? One family in our church sponsored me and paid for my courses while I was unemployed so I didn't have to drop out. On several occasions, people just came up to us and handed us money. One time, an unmarked envelope was left for us at the information center with our names on it. Inside were six $100 bills. Through this challenging year, God taught us what the body of Christ was for. It was designed to be a caring community of people who rally around each other when we have a need. We literally become the arms and legs of Jesus. Also, during this period, it became obvious that doors were not being opened in my field to continue along that career path. I began wondering if God wanted me to pursue full-time ministry. After all, I had already earned my local pastor's license and my denomination's district minister's license. It just seemed the logical next step to pursue a paid staff position. I devised a proposal and a job description and met with our two pastors to see how they felt. They were both very confident in me and also felt it was the logical next step. At the time, though, there were some district hurdles that had to be overcome. Well, to make a long story short, these hurdles could not be overcome and the position didn't materialize. 
Naturally, I was crushed, and a little depression set in. What could God possibly have for me now? I cried out. By the time I got that TA job at the special ed school, I was left wondering what God's plan was for my life. In February of 1995, I had a winter break at the school, and my parents offered to pay for one of our tickets if we wanted to come out for a vacation in Phoenix, which we did, and it was a great time of R&R, considering the pressure we were under. There was just something about that trip. Upon our return, it seemed that God planted a seed in our minds to consider moving to Arizona. So I called my dad and asked him if he wouldn't mind visiting a church in our denomination in his area and talk to the pastor. I asked him to inquire if there was an extension school in the Phoenix area, and if there was to get me the dean's name and phone number. Again, to make a long story short, there was an extension school headquartered in Chandler, and I got the dean's contact information. We talked about my considering relocating to Phoenix, and I mentioned the courses of study that I had already taken, and that I had six courses remaining. Remember now, this was in February. Well, the dean told me that those remaining courses were being offered beginning in September. Now, friends, I must tell you that before calling the dean, my wife and I had prayed about this and agreed that in order for us to make the move, two things had to be in place. First, there had to be an extension school, now referred to as a distance learning center, within reasonable distance from my parents' home, where we were going to live for a while. Second, the Arizona district rotation schedule had to be such that I could easily dovetail into the program and take the courses I needed to complete my academic requirements for ordination. These things were in the back of my mind while I was talking with the dean. When I learned that our two requirements were met, I got off the phone and declared to my wife, I think God has given us the green light to move to Arizona. Well, the rest is history, or as I prefer to say, his story. The story of God's mighty and wonderful acts that followed. From that moment on, through September, we began planning and preparing for our move to Arizona. Upon our arrival in the Phoenix area, my first assignment was becoming staff pastor of a church in Glendale that had about 750 members, and I became the sixth staff pastor. And, after five and a half year stint there, God once again rattled my cage in September of 2000. I can still remember the impression I got from the Lord. Son, begin relieving yourself of responsibilities there, because a door will be opened, and I need you to be ready at a moment's notice to step through it. Friends, that door that opened became my first full-time pastorate as the sole pastor of a growing church in Phoenix for which I was there for a little over five years. Subsequent to that, my wife and I had the privilege of overseeing a house church for another five-plus years. It seemed that God had me on the five-year plan. Well, friends, my final word to you today is remembering 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. And the opening words of Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonderful acts. 
Friends, I'm sure that those of you listening today have many mighty and wonderful acts that testify to God's sovereign hand in your lives. Of course, these acts are peppered with challenging, difficult, and sometimes not so pleasant experiences, right? Well, friends, keep a prayer portfolio or a prayer journal, as most of you probably call it. Write down your challenging circumstances and the mighty or wonderful acts of God in those times. This is so we all can periodically stroll down memory lane and see our sovereign God's hand working behind the scenes of our lives. And in the end, through joys or tears, we can give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, and speak of all his wonderful acts. Amen. Well, we're nearing the end of today's program. I hope our journey through the Psalms has been and is being enlightening and is helping us all to develop a Psalms-driven prayer life. Psalms 105 through 107 provide us an opportunity to stroll down memory lane and recount the mighty or wonderful acts of God. And it's my honor to be praying for you as we all seek to deepen our walk with God by deepening our prayer lives, especially in these times. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me and share what this program means to you. Please also consider joining the support team. I'll furnish the details. Thanks to those of you whose support helps keep this program on the air. Please also remember that a word from the word podcasts are posted on faithtalk1360.com. Search the menu for local program podcasts. Forward the link to people you believe will be blessed and grow from these radio teachings. Thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, If you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at awordfromtheword at minister.com. That's awordfromtheword at minister.com.